What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my yeah, baby, hey. and these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last is? time that anybody has ever asked you a No question. one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Okay, I think that's the end of that longest introduction in the history of the world. I'm Barry Horn. I'm here with Evan Grant. We're going to talk Cowboys with Philadelphia's own John Machota. John, you're from Philly, right? No, no, no. I'm from Detroit. That's worse, isn't it? No, it's not. It's better. You know why? Because the Detroit Lions, John's favorite football team growing up, correct? Absolutely. Correct. They now have my favorite NFL head coach. What does he look like? He looks like a derelict from around the corner. <laughs> I, 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 There is no football coach I can more glom onto than Matt Patricia. Really? Uh, I, I mean, the beard, the pencil behind the ear, the hat backwards, just looks disheveled. This is what a NFL football coach should be. Do you agree, John? <laughs> Remember how it was such a big deal in Dallas whenever Tony Romo would have his hat on backwards? Yeah, and, uh, I don't know that the head coach is going to go with that look, but the fact that he's he's gone with that look that entire time uh, that he's been with New England, it makes me wonder if, if he's going to try and make that work as a head coach would be the first one to do that. But uh, the pencil behind the ear cracks me up the most because even during the uh, Super Bowl media day stuff, he always has that as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. He he just the one thing that worries me about him is that everybody talks about how he puts all this time in, and I just. I don't know. Uh, it looks like all he cares about is football puts in these 20-hour days. I don't know how great that is for your health. Is but, it, uh, isn't he a genius? You know. Isn't he a genius, went John? To, he went to Rensselaer Polytech. RPI. And he, he, did, uh, yeah. he uh, I believe his degree is in aeronautical engineering. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Speak, and which makes it even better. Sp- speak, instead, he's going to do this. Speaking of aeronautical engineers, I think we should tell everybody that Kevin Sherrington is not with us today. He's uh, He's fine. He's just off uh, on another vacation in Arkansas. So it's just Evan and I and uh, Sports Day DFW cowboy rider John Machota, who also works happens to work for the Dallas Morning News. John, tell us about your love of Philadelphia. Super Bowl. Ch- um, the city's great. I'm, f- I'm fine with that. Um, I think they got the most annoying fan base in sports. Um, and uh, I had no idea about this until I moved down to Dallas and uh, started covering the Cowboys and got to meet some of these fine people on social media. Um, being from Michigan, uh, you're, not really, you're not really dealing with any Philadelphia fans. But also being from Michigan, uh, you learn a term called little brother. It's what Michigan says about Michigan State. And, um, and I, I've always thought the Philadelphia Eagles, since I moved down to Dallas in 2010, um, they embody little brother to the fullest. And uh, they're just always angry. And that is obviously from the fact that they're in a division where everyone's won uh, multiple Super Bowls and they hadn't won any. And now that they have won, um, 
yeah, I'm sure they're going to be even extra annoying. And uh, I don't also understand the idea of, um, you know, just burning down the city uh, because you want a championship. So, um, but now and, wait a minute, wait a whatever. minute, time out, John. Time out. You you do come from a town that does have a history of burning things down after winning a World Series. And I didn't understand it when they did it either. Yeah, I mean, I don't get but it I mean, either. I was it's, little. That's, that's a little before my time. It, it's nuts. And I was watching, um, I, I watched a, a couple of memorable film clips of the geniuses standing on the awning, the fabric awning of the Ritz-Carlton uh, Hotel in Philadelphia until it collapsed. And there were about eight people I, on top of that on Sunday night. And then there was another yeah, guy... That one, that's pretty wild. Um, don't wait. Don't ruin uh, it for me, because I I have to get out the poo story. Are you going to go to the poo guy? No, that's the, I was going to be like. But when you're eating horse feces, it kind of trumps that for me. Yeah, poo guy is is number one. Hey, let's not bring politics into this, John. So don't bring up Trump. So so poo guy, <laughs> poo guy, apparently <laughs> knelt down, and I think there may have been some alcohol involved. Um. <laughs> Or maybe some crystal meth at this point in time. I, I don't know. But he knelt down and willingly ate some droppings from, I guess, was a police horse in celebration of the Eagles World Championship. And there's film of this. This is, you know, this, this is. This you sure is, it wasn't poo like? It was on the street, Barry. It was on the street. Yeah. I worry, like, I worry so three about Three years this. ago, three years ago when I was there, um, you know, we, we were on one of the buses um, going into the stadium. That was, uh, it was a couple of buses behind the uh, team. Um, I had stayed at the team hotel, so there's a media bus at the last one. But you're all part of the uh, three, four bus uh, parade there where you've got the police escort or whatnot. So they don't know which one the players are on or whatever. And it got egged. And I was just like, oh, that's, that's a little silly thing. So, like, that was my first, like, real experience with the, just the hatred actually in person. But the last two years, you just really haven't gotten that because. Philly was terrible last year when the Cowboys went up there in Week 17. And then this past season, the Cowboys, you know, they didn't have any chance of making the playoffs. So, uh, and that was obviously a, just a brutal, awful, worst game I've ever seen. So there wasn't – you just didn't feel that real hatred and rivalry these past two seasons between the two teams or three years ago. Yeah, and I, I definitely felt it. The um, and, and the fans are one thing um... – and there's one other thing I got to get to in, in in terms of the post Super Bowl stuff. Apparently, Duracell social media, uh, the battery company, Duracell yeah, sure. social I, media I company. I mean, their social media account on Sunday after the game congratulated the Eagles, saying that Philly fans have an affinity for for Duracells. Um, <laughs> throwing them, throwing them. Apparently, yeah, apparently, and I mean, it showed the confetti raining down with with batteries in the middle of it. Again, probably not great use of your social media advertising. It was memorable, <laughs> but um, I don't think you want to be encouraging people to go out and buy Duracells to use as their hurling battery. John, I, John, I know, John, I know this is before your time, and uh, Evan was probably just a pup when this happened. But do you remember when Michael Irvin got hurt in Philadelphia? They thought he might be, he could have been paralyzed. He was lying on the field in Philadelphia, and the fans. Cheered. Look, these are people who booed Santa Claus. Okay, so their their fans, <laughs> there are a lot of their fans who have uh, have a lot going on. And, and I I think one thing you want to say for Cowboy fans is you don't want them to end up being being Eagle fans. But now they have their Super Bowl and they have their championship. And I think the big question becomes, what do the Cowboys do to catch up to the Eagles? 
Where is the difference between where the Philadelphia Eagles are right now as a football organization and the Dallas Cowboys? John? Yeah, I definitely think it starts up top with your front office, Howie Roseman, and then trickles down to what he was able to do uh, from the minute they fired Chip Kelly and then hired uh, Doug Peterson. I think that um, you see them, one, the Eagles have been willing to take chances, whether it be uh, in hiring coaches or uh, adding players you know, via free agency or trades that you just don't see in, in Dallas, and, and not recently at least. It's been a, a pretty, uh, really the organization, as much as people you know, identify it as being you know, Jerry Jones' team, in these last few years, it's Jason Garrett's team. The, his, his stamp is all over everything, whether it be the draft, the game plan, the way they go about acquiring players. It's very, um, there's not a lot of surprises. It's very by the book. Uh, we're going to build through the draft, and that's how it's going to be. We're not going to do much in free agency. We're not going to do much uh, in trades. And then in our game plan, we're not going to do very much uh, that's going to surprise you. Uh, if we do a fake punt, um, you know, that's going to be about as crazy as it gets. Maybe you'll see an onside kick here or there. But in terms of the play calling, um, I, I just don't, I don't see it being anywhere near what the Eagles are. In terms of the talent, I don't see a big gap at all. I, uh, I just the NFL the way it is now in this salary cap league, there isn't a huge gap in talent unless you're one of those bottom four or five teams compared to one of the top four or five. But um, you know, last year at this time, nobody was saying that the Philadelphia Eagles would be a team that would not even forget forget making the playoffs and winning Super Bowl. But a year ago, nobody was even saying they'd win the NFC East, or maybe they probably weren't even saying they'd finish second. It, it looked like it'd be a race between the Giants and, and, and the. Cowboys, and then you see what happens. Uh, it just it, it's as much as some people will watch that Super Bowl and they'll see the result and they'll think, "Oh man, the Cowboys are so far behind this. I don't know how they're going to catch up." I look at it as almost if you're any of these other teams that you know haven't won a Super Bowl in a long time, you can get everything turned around pretty quickly because when they had fired Chip Kelly a couple years ago and then they were hitting, sitting there with a high draft pick and they took Carson Wentz, I didn't think that they would be contending for another at least three or four years, and, and that's even if Doug Peterson was the right hire. They turned it around in two seasons. It's, it's a league where you can turn it around pretty quickly. All right, here's, here, there are two things for me that stand out. Uh, when we, you talk about the talent, I do think there's not a real marked difference in talent. I do think one thing stood out at least Sunday, and I, I think it was just basically the exclamation point on the one big difference between the Eagles this year and the Cowboys, and that is you know, Alshon Jeffrey – is a better wide, number one wide receiver at this point in time than Des Bryant is, um, and and certainly Nelson Aguilar is a, a better number two option. It might they be have, better number one than what the Cowboys have. Too. A, absolutely, I, I mean I think there is a significant difference on on pass receiving talent. Uh, it, in your mind, John, is is it is there a big gap there? I, I would agree with that. I I will say this: I don't think the Cowboys receivers are nearly as bad as they looked this past season. Right. Um, because I just don't believe that three, four guys all fall off in one season like that. And I will agree with you on the Algalar and the Alshon Jeffrey, but I'll even go down to your number three, and, and especially in watching that Super Bowl and, and the way the Patriots work, I'm a big believer that Cole Beasley is a 1,000-yard receiver in that Patriots offense. He's mm-hmm. that type of player. Is he, da- is he Danny Amendola? He had been a guy that throughout his career – Every year, his numbers steadily improved up until last season. And I will tell you this, going from watching them in training camp, talking to him throughout the entire offseason, anybody that was around this team at the beginning of the year would have thought Cole Beasley was poised to have the best season of his career. And that did not happen. And you thought that 
I just fit, I felt like he fit perfectly with what Dak does, and, and that's in more of the intermediate passing game. And I felt like that's where everything should have started, and then it should have opened it up and then went to Dez. But then it turned out it being like it was with Romo, where everything starts with Dez and then goes the opposite way. So, yes, I do agree that the Eagles have a better receiving core, um, but I think that the Cowboys can do stuff in a little bit different way than the Eagles do it. They don't have to have the exact same game plan because, obviously, they have a better running game than the Eagles have. John, John you know what the Eagles have that, that's better than the Cowboys? A better B team. And by that I mean when people get hurt, uh, people get injured. You know, they lost their quarterback, their left tackle, a linebacker, a running that's back. Like, that's called a bench. It's a B team. It's a B bench. is for bench. <laughs> it's the B team. Okay. I've, when, when you've been around 1960s. football as long as it's, it's the B team. And, but they, they had guys who could come in and they barely lost a step. When the, maybe, maybe they even improved. I don't know. I, could could uh, Carson Wentz have been any better than Nick Foles was in, in the Super Bowl? I don't know. Uh, Jason Peters goes down their left tackle. What happened when the Cowboys' left tackle went down this year, John? Absolute disaster. As, as bad as you could have expected is, is what happened when Tyron Smith went down. And that wasn't just the problem in, in 2017. That was the problem in 2015, too, when Romo went down and they seemed to have no answer. You go from 12-4 and four to 4-12. Four and 12. So this isn't like this is a new problem either. So, and, you know, Jordan Hicks went down, the linebacker from the University of Texas. Sproles, their do everything, running back, special teams, kick returner, player. He went down, and and they didn't lose a step. I don't understand why. Why doesn't this happen in Dallas? That, I mean, that's the best. That's well, a great uh, question. That's let, the biggest. Let me step in real quick there, and I, I know it wasn't the exact same. They're not the exact same player, but this is another thing where I think the Eagles took a big step here, and, and we'll get into the offensive line in a second. But the Eagles were without a, their big running threat. Um, due to an injury. Right. What did they do? They went out and they aggressively made a deal trade for a Jai. And, and didn't give up much. And didn't relatively. give up much. And the Cowboys were without their number one running threat for a long period of time this season. Didn't have the same option. But they, but they were supposed to have guys in place because they knew this was going to happen. But there was there was nobody as good that was going to be as, as attractive as a Jai out there. So. Um, I'm sorry, John. I, I interrupted you. Oh, no. I was going to just say, I mean... I think part of the thing when you go to not having Tyron Smith, you know, that little bit that a lot of that actually has to go into coaching because one, if you didn't coach the guy up well enough, that that could be part of it. The other is you put him in a situation that it leaves everyone scratching in their head because it was so disastrous that you're sitting there thinking, why did you guys think this was going to work? Because it was so bad. So you know, obviously you have to make adjustments, and they did after that Falcons game, um, but you just don't see that in the NFL nowadays where a guy is just so terrible and he's just kind of left out there to dry uh, for an entire game and there isn't a significant change in the game planning and and that's that to me is the number one difference between the cowboys and the two teams that played in the super bowl the two of the, those two teams the way that they're run they adapt so well to whatever team that they're playing and they change their game plan because of it and you just don't see that with the Cowboys on offense or on defense, and that starts at, at the top with Jason Garrett because they've went through different defensive systems. They've had a 3-4 with Rob Ryan and then went to a 4-3 with Rod Marinelli, and you don't see those significant adjustments there. And they brag about it. They routinely brag about how you know what we have and what we're going to do, and but we're just going to be so good at it that that's right. how we're going to win games. And I understand that they did that in the 90s, but frankly, these teams aren't built like the 90s anymore. Nobody is that deep. Those 90s teams 
would pulverize these teams nowadays because they're so deep. The 90s 49ers and and the Cowboys and some of the Buffalo Bills and that, they, they're way better than these teams. Well, right there was now no salary cap. Everything's I mean, been watered down. John, there's no salary cap back then, and you didn't have to exactly. do capology. Exactly. So. Jimmy Johnson just went out and got as much talent as, as, as he thought necessary. It was, it was easy. And Jerry Jones gave him the blank checkbook to do it. The, uh, Absolutely, I, I and, say, and you're not going to have that right now. So, you, you know, you're going to have to be able to will, make, willing to make adjustments, and nobody does it better than Bill Belichick, and that's why they have the greatest dynasty in NFL history. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm writing down all the names that we just went through, basically, in terms of guys who stepped in for the Eagles here. Um, Jay Ajay, uh, Nick Foles, and Hala Pulavati <laughs> Vitae. Um, He's a local, who, by the way. Who stepped in at, uh, at left tackle, right? Right. Uh, and what do they? What do all three of those guys have in common, John? Oh, um, it sounds like, especially if we're. Did you include Nick Foles too? I did. They love Texas. Okay, uh, I think that there's a little bit of a Texas tie we have there. There is a Texas connection there. Vitae went to TCU and is from Haltom. Ajay's from Frisco Liberty, right? Yeah. And Foles is from Austin Westlake. And there, there seems to be something in my mind, you know, I, and maybe this is because I'm coming at it from a baseball background and. The scouting of high school players, and, and certainly you don't really do that in the NFL until until guys get to college. But these are three kids from from the Cowboys' backyard that that the Eagles all went out and and acquired or drafted uh, that seemed to slip by the Cowboys. I mean, Vitae was a fifth round draft pick. It wasn't. It was not a high draft pick by any stretch of the imagination. And we all know what the Nick Foles situation was here when the Cowboys had an an opportunity to grab him. Yeah. Well, then the Ajayi one, too. That He was taken in, in a draft where a lot of people felt like the Cowboys should have waited to take a running back instead of taking one early and, and going with a guy like Ajayi. Um, but they wanted they wanted to go with the home run and go with Ezekiel Elliott early on. But, no, uh, Ajayi was a guy that they liked. I believe he had, I want to say it was a knee condition, possibly, and that was one of the big reasons why he, he fell in the draft because of something that um, – I believe might have been a degenerative knee condition. Correct. I, I, think I, that's I could right. be wrong on that, but I know there was something medically that caused him to fall. So here we, uh, John. Here we are, twenty minutes into this fabulous ballsy podcast, and we'll have other ballsy podcasts today. And we haven't even got to the play calling. Have we? Have we gotten to the play calling? Have we discussed? Well, I think that's the other big difference that we need to discuss between the philosophy in general between the Cowboys and the Eagles. Um, the the thing that I said to the people I was watching the game with that stood out to me was Philadelphia never stopped being aggressive defensively. Right. They never backed off. They made they made the big turnover by being aggressive in that situation. And then they you know, they they, they put the game away basically by being aggressive. And I don't know that that's something that, that Jason Garrett would have done. And this is to say anything this is to say nothing about the offensive play calling Getting Nick Foles out and throwing early in the game, allowing him to to kind of get some confidence, um, and when when he was supposedly the big question mark about that offense, uh, these are things and we we mentioned a little bit of the trickery. These are the things that I don't think that the Cowboys' offensive or defensive game plans uh, account for, John. Offensively is is the biggest one with me because defensively. Um, the only knock I have on Rod Marinelli is that he just is so hesitant to blitz at all. So you know that if you can handle their front four, you can probably keep your quarterback clean 
Now, if you have a healthy David Irving, Demarcus Lawrence, Tyron Crawford, Malik Collins, et cetera, it's going to be hard to do because that's, that's a pretty solid front four right there. Um, so I don't have a huge problem with what they've done on defense. And um, I would, I just, I, I look at the offense more than anything because that's the way this team has been constructed. It's been uh, an offense, control the clock, limit how much the defense is on the on the field type of type of team. And so my biggest thing that I look at when I when I look back at what they did this past year and even the year before with Dak Prescott is that. Uh, he's not a pocket passer. He could become one, but that's not his greatest strength right now. His greatest strength is throwing on the run and then running the football, using his legs. And I think that you need to adapt to more of what he did in college. Now, I'm not saying run him 10 to 15 times a game, mm-hmm. but he's a guy that he has ran the ball exactly 57 times each of these first two seasons he's been in the NFL. I think that's startling. That's the exact same number both years. So that's three. That's a little over three and a half carries per game. He was averaging like twelve to fifteen in college. You don't have to do anything crazy like that. Nobody in the NFL carried the ball more quarterback-wise than Cam Newton this past year. He was around like a little over eight eight carries per game. I'm not saying you have to get Dak up to that, but I think if you get Dak about ninety carries, which is a little over five and a half a game, I think that's where he's going to be at his best. Because yes, you're you're putting him a little bit more in harm's way, but you're also giving the opposing defense more of a threat that this guy could run on any possible play, and they don't have that right now. John. You, yeah, he's going to run on two or three plays, and that's it. Well, here's the thing. you, you got to take some chances here, and I, I believe Doug Peterson did that with Nick Foles and, and, and kind of fit the offense to what he does best. And I believe when they talk about making Dak friendly, make the offense Dak friendly this offseason, that's one of the things they have to do. And if that means going back and watching some Mississippi State tape and seeing what worked well there, so be it. But I think that's one of the biggest adjustments you have. to. It's going to have to start with Dak and the way they use him at quarterback. John, but what happens if Dak gets hurt and you don't have... Well, that's my... <laughs> I agree, and that's a possibility. One thing is, I will say, you're not paying him that $20 million yet. So he's not at that, at that level yet. Where a lot of those guys that make the big money, you keep them in the pocket because, I mean, this is such a huge investment. It just it rocks your franchise if you lose this guy. So my argument to that would be that you have to go out and get a veteran backup. I'm not saying you have to... Spend big on one, but get somebody that's been in this league and that could come in like a Nick Foles did and be able to kind of keep things going. Case Keenum, you know, some guys like that where, uh, I mean, the Cooper Rush could be that guy, but I just don't know if that's the guy that you bank on right now. Maybe he's the guy that you, you, you bank on in, in a couple years being that guy, but right now I just really think that more than ever before they should go out and, and sign a veteran backup. Well, I, I, I think it's, you know, I'll oversimplify a little bit. I think, you know, if you're, if you're an NFL team and you're developing a quarterback as the starter, then your backup should be somebody who can come in without a ton of reps and without a ton of, of playing time and manage the offense and, and carry the offense along, i.e. a, a veteran. Gr- a grizzled veteran. Yes. Yeah. If, you're, if you've got a veteran quarterback and he's, you know, in the prime or the, the second part of his career, you have two different ways you can go. You know, the Packers, as, as Kevin has maintained for a long time, are famous for having their backup quarterback being a guy that they were developing and that if they lost their franchise quarterback, they would take some chances with a young quarterback. Some other teams prefer to go with, with a veteran. But I, I think if you're in, a, in the Cowboys situation, and the Eagles were very much in the Cowboys situation with a second-year quarterback, quarterback in Carson Wentz, they went with a veteran backup quarterback. Um, we all know that the veteran, that the backup quarterback, didn't factor in with the Cowboys this year. That wasn't the situation. The situation was more along the injuries on the offensive line, 
the the absence of of their number one running threat. But I still also believe, and I think you know this is going to become even more of a of a conversation topic than it has been. Uh, I, I think it it's going to be the next big question about the Cowboys that that has got to be answered is. Does Jason Garrett have the ability to adapt, or is he so set in stone in his philosophy that he is going to not maximize what Dak Prescott does? You know, you talk about, John, you talked about getting him out and, and moving him and throwing him a little bit. What was the first play from scrimmage on, on Sunday night with the with the Philadelphia Eagles and their veteran quarterback? Rolled out through, through a completion, got the offense moving, got a little bit of confidence going, was a good first drive for Philadelphia and and this is something I don't think the Cowboys do a ton of well they kept they you know I I was fascinated by listening to Chris Collinsworth during the game because I think it was Collinsworth who uh, knighted or dubbed the Cowboy office, offensive line first did it the, the greatest offensive line in the NFL and then he was talking about the Eagles right. in this, the same way this is the greatest offensive line in the in the NFL. At the same and now at the same time, I think Doug Peterson did a really good job with a lot of with with a lot of aspects of that game. I think he made a, a tremendous mistake going for two after the first extra point failed. Um, I don't think that's a mistake that Jason Garrett would because that is, you know, that's a that's set a in stone kind of thing. It's yeah. it's right on the on, on the index card there. But the the touchdown pass back to um, the touchdown pass back to Foles, right? Right. That was a fourth down play, John, right? Correct. It was. I'll tell you. Absolutely. We don't need John's expertise. Yeah. It was a fourth down play. It was a fourth down play. Cowboys aren't doing that on fourth down. They're not going for it on fourth down. They're not going to run a trick play on fourth down. Uh, that's, that is, you know, well, but, uh, that's, a, that's a play taken right from the name of this podcast. It's ballsy. But, but you know, the Cowboys, the Cowboys have Zeke Elliott. And, and they, they, if, if they went for it, which I don't think they would have, Elliot would have carried the ball, and if Elliot didn't carry the ball, everybody would be all over them. Why didn't he carry right. the ball? And and that is a little bit of the damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because hey, the the Seattle Seahawks tried to do the same thing with the game on the line in the Super Bowl, and instead of giving it to Marshawn Lynch, they tried to throw it, lost the Super Bowl. The Eagles, in a lot of ways, turned the momentum definitively on their side with that with that fourth down play. John, when the, the schedule, when you, when you say about the adapting. You know, Jason Garrett adapting, I agree with you 100%. That's really what it's going to come down to, at least his future coaching the Dallas Cowboys. If he can adapt uh, to more of the modern way that we're – okay, NFL, football, football in general, it's not trickle down. It's definitely trickle up. There's not stuff that they do in the NFL that trickles down to what they do in high school. It's what starts in high school, trickles up to college, and now it goes up to the NFL. And you see all these teams adjusting to what the college game does, and you see these quarterbacks, you know, getting outside the pocket. You see in these college games, these, these teams, uh, especially in the Big 12, you see it a lot more spread out, and they go for it on fourth down a lot more because the way they look at it is that the more possessions you have, the more, it really, at the end of the day, it comes down to running the most plays on offense. You know, a lot of people want to talk about time possession. Time possession is, isn't nearly as important as how many plays you're running on offense and keeping the other team's offense off the field. That's, what, that's why you see a Super Bowl that has the all-time high 
in yards because that's the way the game's changing, and it, and it has to do with the way the offenses are changing. It has to do with the way uh, penalties are being called on the defense and making it more difficult on, on defensive backs. But the game has changed, and, and it's, it's gone from a, a, a smash-mouth style of where you need you know great running backs and great offensive lines and great linebackers to where it's almost basketball on turf where it's more about the defensive backs and the wide receivers, and it's about getting them out of space. And that's what these two teams in the Super Bowl – uh, did the best, and, and the Cowboys showed some of that in 2016, uh, but it didn't work nearly as much in 2017, so can they adjust to that uh, in 2018? That'll be the difference, and if they can't, then Jason Garrett won't be the head coach of the Cowboys going forward. And, and I, when you mention that, we're going to let you go here pretty quickly because we're, we're going to move into the next podcast, but um, the one the one thing I do want to mention that uh, from watching at home, I did realize that Al Michaels, speaking of, of guys who, who may be caught a little bit in the past, did realize that there's new terminology in the NFL and used the acronym RPO and explained run-pass option about 15 times in the first quarter. Al Michaels <laughs> is a baseball guy, and he, he... He called Mike Trout a member of the California Angels. Yeah, so... And, and he lives out there. So... I, that might... That, listen, they've had so many names over the years. I, I have to look it up every time. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I, I, I have no problem with him referring to... The, in the. But I did think that NBC had a production meeting in which they said, all right, guys, we're going to explain to people run PO, RPO and run pass option over and over again because I thought what? we got hit over the head with it well, a little bit Well, let me ask you this. I don't remember it before this season. Did, it, did, did they use that phrase before this season very often? I think it became a real buzzword this season. I, I think, think it Tony became Romo more of a buzzword this season. But I think, I mean, we're, we're going – Going back to Kaep- when Kaepernick took the, the the 49ers to the Super Bowl, run the read is more of a read option than, than a run pass option. But to me, but that's read option is the same thing. It, they didn't go yeah. RPO. I thought RPO was the name of a, a band. Is, isn't that right? No. That's no, RPM. No, RPM is the name of something that, that's R-E-M. That's R-E-M. And RPM is something that the number of uh, it's a measure of how fast something spins. So before we let you go, John, revolutions per minute. Well, maybe you were going REO Speedwagon. I think so. I don't know what I was going, but John, before we let you go, I have a question. Cowboys play the schedule. Cowboys can't change it. They'll play the Eagles twice next season. Uh, How how will the trip to Philadelphia be? I mean, if they do it the exact same way that they've done these last two years and it's week 17, I think it can be pretty underwhelming again because just the odds are that they've been banking on both these teams being good to the point where that week 17 game has some real meaning to it. Well, it hasn't. So I'm going to say it's more likely uh, that it's not going to have any meaning to it again next, this year. One of these teams isn't going to be as good as they uh, that, that some people think, and I don't think it's going to be nearly as meaningful. Now, if they make it where they open the season in Philly, I think that's really interesting, and uh, I think we'll get full – um, eggs and batteries thrown at the buses on this one. But if it's Week 17, I think it's going to be pretty underwhelming. John, I, I think the Philly game will be Week 2. Doesn't Phil, won't Philly open in, in that Thursday night game? Uh, I believe so, yeah. So, so night, yes. against, against a good team, so it won't be the Cowboys. But <laughs> but um, so I, maybe Week 2 on a, a Sunday on Fox or a Sunday night on NBC, I'd look for that game. Sounds good. I'll be ready for it. All right. The weather will be good. The weather will be nice. John, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, there'll be a little something extra in your paycheck next week. Don't count on it. En- enjoy, enjoyed having you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. That's fun.
I don't know. He 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 likes Rod Marinelli for he's for a guy who likes the Lions. Rod Marinelli, I don't think won a game when he was the head coach of uh, one season. Yeah, but that, that I th- you know there's guys who are really good defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators who just aren't great head coaches. But if you're a Lions fan, the, you'll the, that'll go down in history as as a season or forget. Yes, it will. But the the era of the Lions is coming. The era of the Lions is coming. Mark my words. The Patricia time is now. Okay. And Evan, uh, I got a text from Chuck Cooperstein, who's we have a podcast with. Who else do we have today? Uh, me. Oh, oh we've no, got. We got better. We 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 got. We're better gonna have than a Rangers roundtable with me and Jerry Fraley, and we're also gonna have Rangers bench coach Don Wakamatsu join us. So we have lots and lots in store for you in the other podcasts this week. So please join us. And the bonuses: Kevin Sherrington not here. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.